0: Another edition of the Valhalla Movement podcast. And today we've got a special guest that my father actually let me know about. Um, but before I get to Jean-Martin Fortier who uh, is somebody really, really, really interesting, I want to quickly talk about one of the projects that we've got going on here and one of our sponsors of this podcast, which is Green Seed. Now, you guys, if you guys listen to this podcast regularly, you know that GreenSeed is a crowdsourcing platform, and what I mean by that is it's really kind of taking and combining Kickstarter and Patreon and, and kind of Craigslist, and we're combining all of those things so that people can get their social causes and sustainable initiatives off the ground. We are basically going to provide the platform that you can fund your projects, find volunteers or team members, find the resources that you need. like. To make a project like this happen, to make a market garden happen, which I'm sure Jam is going to talk a lot of, uh, to us about, we we need people, we need resources, and we need all of these things to come together, and that's what Green Seed is all about. Now, Green Seed is not launched just yet, but ideally it's going to be launching kind of in, the, you know, I don't know, I don't know exact dates, but well, we're coding it every single week. I've got a team of people that are working on it with me particularly, and the Valhalla movement is kind of fully engage in behind this. Um, and we, we've we seen the power of crowdfunding for us, so we want to kind of extend that to you. So anybody with more who wants more information, just visit greenseed, one word, dot me. Greenseed dot me. Okay? You can sign up to our newsletter. We're going to let you know when it's coming out. But now enough of that. We're going to dive into um, our guest, who is Jean-Martin, uh, Jean-Martin Fortier, sorry. And he wrote The Market Gardener. And it's basically a successful grower's handbook for small-scale organic farming. Now, I find this fairly interesting because my father actually told me about this book. He owns it. He showed me it numerous times. He opens it up to different pages and tells me about how this guy, this incredible person, is growing incredible amounts of food and making you know good, uh, good living, uh, having a decent lifestyle on a, such a small piece of land, and how... This is what Valhalla should actually be striving to, to create. And so I haven't read the book yet, and I'm going to be honest about that. But I have looked and peered through it, and I'm just hearing more and more and more about the market gardener uh, consistently. So at this point, I'm clearly going to pick up my dad's copy of the book, and I'm going to read it. But luckily, today, I actually have the honor of having Jean-Martin or JM on the podcast. So thank you very much, uh, JM, for being, uh, for being a guest.
1: Hey Marco Polo, it's my great, great pleasure to be to be at the podcast.
0: Yeah. All right. Great. So, for the people who don't know what you're doing and, and don't know about your book or anything about who you are and what you're doing, kind of fill them in. What? Where did this? You know, what are you doing? And then I'll let's take it from there. <laughs> All right. So,
1: so we, my wife and I, we've been farming this one and a one and a half acre parcel for the last ten years.
0: Okay, and where's this and, parcel? And we've
1: been we've been growing diversified mixed vegetables that we bring to market to our uh, to farmers market, and we also have, you know, 120 CSA. That's in Montreal, and wow. um, through all these years, we've been growing more vegetables, but always on the land, the same land base because that's the only land that we have.
2: Mm-hmm. So we had
1: land constraint when we started out. And uh, we've just basically been focusing on on trying to grow better instead of growing bigger Mm -hmm. and developing techniques, developing tools, developing approaches to, to, to intensify our production using biologically intensive growing practices, permanent raised beds, appropriate technologies, whatever. We can talk about that through the hour. But basically, in a nutshell, what we've been aiming to do is to just grow a lot of vegetables for direct sell that we do at market
2: mm-hmm. and, and
1: we've de- been deriving both of our income uh, from that acre and a half ever since we've started. Amazing. And yeah, so- and the book, the book, The Market Gardener, yep. it, 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 it narrates how we go about doing this. It's a technical manual, it's a how-to book every step of the way because my thought Is that if you want to get into farming, if you want to be a vegetable grower, Mm -hmm. it might be a good idea to start small and to make it productive and profitable before you go on to be, you know, somewhat of of a more of a bigger grower.
0: Let's just put it that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, so we do have a lot of followers that are in the Quebec region and probably possibly listening to this right now. Where exactly is this farm?
1: yeah the farm is in Saint Armand, which is an hour south of Montreal mm-hmm. or an hour north of Burlington, Vermont, so we're right on the border okay we're the in the eastern townships it's called it's a beautiful area here. we have no mosquitoes, no bugs mm-hmm. and it's one of the warmest climate in in Quebec, and so we're fortunate and lucky to be in a good growing area, yeah, and it's just it's a beautiful area for just the landscape is very nice here. Now it's the colors with the maple trees all around us. And uh, we're connected to a really nice community around here, you know, people from Sutton, from mm-hmm
0: from,
1: from around the area. So we're really blessed and fortunate to be, to be uh, settled over here.
0: Sure. So I I actually go to Saint now or kind of near there because I do go down to Vermont and to Burlington fairly often. So I, I can attest to the fact that the area is phenomenally beautiful. And it does have an interesting microclimate um, that does enable you guys to kind of, uh, I'm sure, does support your work at least, right? It kind of yeah, extends well, the season a little bit longer and it yeah. allows it to, to start a little bit earlier potentially. So I'm sure we're that does still, help
1: we're still in Norton climate and uh,
0: you know this is Canada so we're not we're not in tropical Florida but
1: but overall you know our last frost is is around uh, mid May and our first frost will be probably next week Mm -hmm. so we're able to get you know a good six seven month growing period and I think that's a blessing in disguise because then we have three months off when winter kicks in (laughs) and this is for us it's been real important time to just you know, take a deep breath, uh, rest, and uh, it allowed me to write the book over different winters and do other stuff. So I, I feel fortunate about that, you know, Amazing. growing season here in Quebec.
0: yeah. So let's back up to before you had the, form, the farm and before you were doing all of this stuff and before you wrote the book. I mean, we love to know, and, and I get this question all the time when I'm at Valhalla, and I think other members of Valhalla do too, what inspired this? Where, where did this come out of? Like, Is this something you grew up doing? Is this something you, you know, was your father a farmer or something like that? Where Were you both your families involved <laughs> in this? Like what, what wow. made you get out and into this and dive deep, deep, yeah. deep into market gardening?
1: Yeah, my father is a business person and my mother also. And I grew up in the suburbs of Montreal. Okay. And, you know, farming was very far removed from what I thought I'd be doing in life. Yeah, But uh, I, I studied at McGill University at the School of Environment. That's where I met my wife, Modeline. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, after three years of studying ecological disasters and economic collapses all over the place, you know, we just felt that we wanted to have a meaningful impact with our career and with our lifestyle, and we didn't know what to do. So we ended up making a trip, and we visited uh, coffee farms in Mexico, and then we went up to New Mexico and then we worked on earthships, built earthships for a summer.
0: Oh, wow. And
1: we, for among other uh, things, we've just also started to work as woofers, you know, okay. uh, volunteers on a small organic farm. And it was really by uh, by when we started the farm and we were also embedded at the Santa Fe farmer's market, which is a really, really hot place,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: meaning, you know, a, a place where yeah. there's people that are making it happen. and it, we were outside, spending our days in a beautiful landscape, we were growing stuff, we were bringing it to market, and people were thanking us. And I often tell this story, I, you know, we were working for this guy, he a French-Canadian, Richard Belanger, and, you know, we were doing market with him, and, and I was looking at the cash he was making in half a day on Saturday morning markets, and I was like, man that's not so bad. (laughs) And so all of this kind of blended together. And after two years there, we thought, you know, we wanted to come back to Quebec to, well, was pregnant back then. And we just felt like, yeah, why not keep on doing that? And uh, that's what we did. We rent, we rented land. We put up a teepee, lived for two cents in a teepee with our, with our, you know, one year old boy. And we had a little market garden. It was really small. It was about a fifth of an acre, and we were just providing food for 30 people through a little CSA, and we were bringing the extras at, at, at a market that we had set up in Dunham. Wow And after two years of doing that, we just we felt that we wanted to you know get more professional about this, and we wanted to have a career in farming. so we bought, uh, we bought a rabbit house, actually. We went from a teepee to a rabbit house, <laughs> which, which we, built, we built our house in. And the land that we could afford, because we're an hour south of Montreal, was a small parcel of land. It was a two-acre plot mm-hmm. in the middle, of which had this rabbit farm. So we ended up having this land constraint, which was an acre and a half of prairie to develop and into a prof- profitable market garden. And, and that was the start of our story at La Gralinette.
0: Wow, that's incredible. I love yeah. I find that so inspiring to, to hear that, you know, just like so many stories, including my own, you know, I, I also grew up in the suburbs of, of you know, Montreal. I, I was born and raised in Brossard, basically. And I also went to McGill. I did not go to, to the environmental school, though. I, can, I went into the marketing program. And, mm-hmm. you know, I learned through business and I guess through some of the same things that you did. Um, those exact same problems, right? I watched it through documentaries like Zeitgeist and where money comes from and the water issues and the GMOs and all these crazy things. And I was like, whoa, like what are we gonna do about it? You know, like like we could talk about how our government, it, you know, should change these things or we need new laws or we need a new system and, you know, but the truth is that it seems like the only way we're gonna get there is if we actually participate ourselves within that system. Like, how can we expect change unless we are being a part of it? Or, and it doesn't mean that every single person needs to go and grow their own food, but what it could mean is that you also support local growers. Like, hey, if you want to see more local kind of incentives, well, guess what? Start by buying local. You know what I mean? Like, that's the first step, right? And so I love that you went out there and you did that. And that you did it. And and for us, it made a lot
1: of sense. And, you know, looking back, because we've been doing this for a while now. This is going to be my 14 growing season. But you know what, looking back, I, I realized that the trade I opted for, like a market gardener, you know, it, it, it doesn't have the countryside, raise my kids into the, you know, changing rhythms of the seasons. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, it allows me to par- participate in society without being completely embedded in the globalized economy. You know, the, 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 the crop that we grow comes from seed, Everything we do is grown from scratch. All the tools that we use come from small companies, and none of the fundamental inputs that we use on the farm are from an industrialized process. Wow. We sell directly to people. So, you know, I'm not saying that we're not part of the globalized economy, but we basically, you know, we have a car and we use fossil fuel to get to market. But, you know, we're, we, we're, I, I guess we're showing one example of how to do without it. You know, we can grow our crop here and we can still make a living and we can still produ- be productive and profitable and and for me you know looking back I understand how this this was important back then and it still is today to be uh, exactly as you said it you know to be part of the change
2: mm-hmm. and, and
1: to have my work because half of our day spent on earth will be working. So what's your work? what are you doing concretely every day? are you just making money or are you're making a difference?
0: Absolutely, and
1: and, you know we've been fortunate because we're we're making both. We're making Mm -hmm. money, and we're we're making a difference. I feel
0: so. So that's an interesting concept because I even myself would say, and I think you're going to challenge this, and I think your book challenges this in many ways. Is that I, you know, people are like, oh, you know, so you guys are in, you know, this nonprofit. Farming kind of world, and 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 to me, it extends beyond farming. In our case, and and what Valhalla is promoting is more the sustainable lifestyle as a whole. It's not just the farming and growing of food component, but also you know what, considering all the uh, different inputs, right. How do we get away from that fossil fuel car, for example? Like, is there an electric alternative? How can we kind of start creating a community around us of people who we want to kind of engage with, who we do work with, who we know, right? Like, how many people when you were growing up did you actually know in, in, term, in your neighborhood? You know, like, I, I know barely very, very, none of my neighbors, right? Where I'm living right now, where I'm standing right now, I don't know the name of any one of my neighbors in this current environment right now. And it's not because I don't want to know, it's because when they see me or when we see each other, it's like the eye contact is weird. it's just, it's just not the, the right environment. And it seems like a farm does change that. But what I'm what I'm kind of getting at here is I, you know, people are like, oh, so why are you going into this? Like you you're trained in marketing, you trained in business, you can make more money doing that. And I'm like, well look, I didn't enter farming to make money. Like this is not I'm not doing I don't run a nonprofit because I want to make a lot of money. I'm doing it because I actually believe in it. And yeah. because I believe in it, more and more people are actually engaging with it, and it seems like we've made a name for ourselves as Val at the Valhalla movement, pretty much around the world, but particularly in Quebec. Um, but we we're not really growing anything. We're not really like we're growing food. We've planted tons of fruit trees and different things, and we've practiced more of what is called permaculture. And I want to ask you a little bit about the difference between or what your thoughts are on permaculture, but. That's kind of where we started, but we are not selling anything to markets. We're not selling anything to anybody who's driving by of any kind. We're really only at the beginning stages of this. Um, And I find it really, 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 really challenging to figure out a way to make it financially viable. And I think uh, I have, and we have, a lot to learn from you on that. But I wanted to to dive into the permaculture topic because there's many people who I speak to, even who are very much embedded in the permaculture world, that basically say, permaculture the only way you make money through permaculture is through doing design classes and workshops yeah. and not through actually growing that too. okay so so give me your input on that tell me tell me well, a little bit about I, that. well I did the, the answer to that question
1: is fairly simple because not that many people have taken all the have taken on all these principles and have have applied them to you know the farming uh, so farming practices are market farming practices, you know,
2: mm-hmm. like
1: we're, we're, we're getting there. Yeah.
2: We're, yeah. we're
1: getting to, you know, for me, permaculture is like this lens that you have to look at things in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. understanding that you're, there's a systematic way of looking at things. It's a system, there's multifunctions to everything, and you're trying to design things so that it's productive. Absolutely, but you know, and, and this is great, and and people have focused mainly so far on, on having self-sustained systems, which are great. But if you want to, if you want to bring stuff to market, you kind of need to have another angle to that whole picture.
2: Yeah, and I think yeah.
1: people are on the verge of you know, I I know examples of people who are doing it, have been doing it for a long time, but it's we're getting there slowly because the tool, the permaculture tool, is so useful to create and design farms
2: Mm -hmm. and when we
1: started our farm that's what happened I had been studying permaculture I was reading you know the Bill Mollison Mm -hmm. big book Permaculture 1 Permaculture 2 and I was understanding that the farm was like the layout was super important and the way we designed the farm here it really minimizes foot traffic circulation to a maximum and that has been making a big difference for us. You know, over 10 years, we've been minimizing foot traffic and saving so much time every week, every, you know, every month, every year, every decade, you know, because all, every, it's been created so that it's centralized and the gardens are all closed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, that's just one example. And, but there's, you know, we're also on the farm here, we're using intensive spacings. Okay. So we have per, We have permanent beds. Mm-hmm. And the the fact that the beds are permanent allows us not to have a tractor because we don't need to be, hilling, disking, plowing, every year. We've made the beds ten years ago, and now we're just cultivating the surface
2: mm-hmm. using
1: light power tool. But what I, what I, where I, I want to get out to is that you know the the crop because they're so densely seeded or transplanted, uh, the leaves form a canopy, and mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. canopy retains the moisture, shades out the weed effectively what it's doing is it's creating a living mulch and so this is one example of multi multi-function we're growing a crop and we know that soil if it's going to be productive it needs to be covered because Mm -hmm. that's how it works in the forest and so we're designing everything so that the crop that we grow is also providing us with a cover excellent and, and so that was our our mindset when we started and still it still is today we're looking for ways to combine things so that we're putting less effort into them or that they're really productive and that's basically the big difference between you know a pure if i can say that permaculture scheme and what we're doing here is here we're really intensifying and this is labor intensive this is management intensive but it's also producing a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the difference here. But we've used a lot of permaculture principles to set up the farm, and boy, I'm so glad about that.
0: I Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's a lot to learn from permaculture, and, you, and I think you nailed it on the head, which is... In the design portion and in the thinking and the pre-planning of it, uh, it does seem that some of their practices, though, however, and I would say actually even the people who are generally attracted to permaculture have what I call a, they have like a money-averse mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Where what they are doing is I, I've noticed this a lot, and this is um, you know it's definitely around in in the permaculture world, which is that people are looking to almost escape the current system, right? And they're like, "Oh, how do we get out of it and how do we do it through permaculture and earthships and stuff?" And it's like, "Yeah, that's great, but you really have to understand that you are part of the global system. You are part mm. of Montreal or Brassard or wherever you are, saint Armand or whatever, okay? And you're always going to be a part of it. And there's no reason to fight everything from start to finish, right? Like there's no, there's, what we should do is realize that there's certain things available. There's other farmers and air, and people in our area and people who provide tools and, and resources that we can use, that we have to use in this mindset. And I think, I think it seems like a lot of what you're doing is also considering the market and in considering that, mo- that monetary component of it and what you should grow and what people are looking after and what people want, okay, you are doing a little bit more than just considering What's, ex- you know, what's the the perfect companion plant at all times? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. because yeah. the perfect companion plant, it doesn't necessarily mean it's ever going to sell in the market and it's going to take up a lot of space. And this space, the more space that you want it to take up, the more you have to manage. And I can tell you out of our own experience at Valhalla that there are a lot of weeds and there is a lot to manage. Now, we are only in our second season, really. Okay. And we set up some kind of permanent garden beds that we're slowly but surely doing these things none of which came from in my point perspective from books okay I I never read a book in permaculture in my life and I still and I don't really want to and I don't really need to um, it's mainly because i I'm learning it from other people who have and who are, are practicing it and I'm that that that's my kind of learning right it's not it's not necessarily by having to read the book on it that I'm going to learn it's by you know if I come and visit your farm and say Alma, nah, I will learn and I will understand what you did uh, inherently and that's my own version of that but I find it phenomenally interesting that people who are, are money averse then are complaining about the money problem. Right? It's like, oh well, we're never gonna make enough money through permaculture that we can that we can provide for our own our own family. I'm like, well, part of it is also based on your own mentality around money and what you're growing and that you're and what you're not growing because of that. You know what I mean? And I think yeah, it seems like what you've done has addressed a little bit of that. Is like, look, I'm gonna consider my entire lifestyle, including money, versus just the you know the holistic side of um, growing my own food and permaculture.
1: Yeah, and you know what? When we're talking about market, we're not talking about you know the world market. We're talking about bringing something to a place where another person is acquiring it and giving me money. It's mm-hmm. just, there's no there's no fees, there's no visa cards, there's no... It's just like, this is straightforward, you know, exchange of goods and services
2: for mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm.
1: And it, I think it's a bit foolish to think, to think to, to live one's life without that aspect being part of, you know, economics is part of everybody's life. And I, I guess the question then, then is, you know, how do you want to make, how do you want to be productive? How do you want to have a career or, you know your productive years building something or, or shaping something or, or having a business or whatever, is it going to be geared towards something that is sustainable, that is making a difference, or is it going to be something that it that that ain't?
2: Mm-hmm. And, and for,
1: for me, I think that's important. That was a big part of why we chose that path. And I think as more and more people make that right choice, we're just creating this, different economy or this different paradigm where you're working and you're working hard and you're making money and it's all good, but you're also creating change.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm so excited about rightful business. And for me, you know, if, if people have an issue with money, fine, but uh, there needs to be strong local leaders that are providing income for others and, and business is somewhat a great vehicle for that.
0: I I can imagine and so I imagine that at this point due to the fact that you guys are market gardening and, and you just mentioned providing you know not only goods but also money to other people I'm assuming yeah. you guys also employ people right I'm assuming yeah, you guys have, at this point yeah. have a team of people that are are helping you and kind of um, making this change alongside you
1: yeah and I think you know we employ only two people because here it's it's really a micro farm but
0: you know I have a lot of esteem
1: for people that hire you know
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Many, many people, uh, and are providing you know an environment and a cre- creative work, and it's just there's a lot of positive happening. At least there's around positive around us,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, I I've, I tend to focus more on that because you know the, the gloom and doom. I've spent so many years there, and it's just I don't want to be there anymore. We're 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 one example of people that are aiming and striving to make a difference and there's so many out there and it's just up to us to really make it happen and i I think we are making a difference
0: i I think you are too i I, you know i i i respect I think I think part of this path, I think part of how people get to where you are today, and how part of people how get even to where Valhalla is today, is actually part of partially because of that gloom and doom, right? It's it's because we went through that 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 darkness, through that mm-hmm. that deep forest of understanding the problems of our world. Okay, and, and to whatever degree that we did that, it doesn't matter. We felt it in our hearts, and therefore we moved towards the solution yeah and and that's the difference between, to me, a tree hugger and a protester and a hippie and somebody who's really making a difference in the sustainability world and social cause world is is really focusing on the solution because the word tree hugger comes from the fact that people would hug trees in the protest to not get them cut down. It was all about the protest. It wasn't, they weren't doing anything to stop the trees necessarily being cut other than putting their bodies in front of the way, which is righteous in its own sense. But the truth is that what we need to do is change the culture. You know, yeah. Valhalla's mission statement is to proliferate what we call freedom culture. And I, I want to talk a little bit about the culture and about the lifestyle now is, you know, we talk about, you know, Valhalla's m- mission, freedom culture, which is to empower and encourage all individuals to spread their unique gifts to the world. Okay. Now, obviously that's lofty and that's big and that can mean a lot of things, but how we're doing that and how we're practicing that is through kind of empowering people to have the most amount of time to be able to do what they love and are passionate about. And it's clear that you're passionate about market gardening. It's clear that you're passionate about getting out there, getting your hands dirty, working with your hands and, and making a difference, not only in your own garden, but also in the lives of other people who are eating these the food that you're growing as well as through your book and being able to teach this to others so that it ideally would empower I'm assuming you would want to empower others to potentially do this as well and that's exactly what Valhalla is all about and this is exactly why you know like you said you're not alone in this we're not alone in this we there's a a network of these people that are available out there and all we need to do is find them and so you know what I hear a lot is people come to Valhalla and they hear that we have 60 acres of land and they're like oh, well, it's impossible that I ever have 60 acres of land. Like, there's no way I will ever be able to do this. And I, they don't always say it, but I know they're thinking it. And I love, I absolutely love that you guys are on a 1.5-acre piece of land making all of this money and food, okay, and, and sustaining not only your life but your family's life as a whole and, and a couple, you know, two employees or whatever. That to me is phenomenal because that to me says, hey, you guys can start this in your backyard wherever yeah. you are. And, yeah, and you guys was, can start making this difference so talk to me a little bit about the, the the lifestyle changes that somebody might adopt or should adopt to begin on this path
1: well well that's a that's a big question you know, for <laughs> one thing we should never you know we need to get something straight is that farming is hard work mm-hmm. and you know that'll never change yeah. everything we sell we need to grow ourselves
2: mm-hmm
1: so there's a lot of labor and commitment involved through all of that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then for me, it, if, if you want to have a life and a, a, a right livelihood and, and to have, you know, quality of life, it's all about how you farm. It's just like I, I tell this story a lot, but I used to be a tree planter okay. and I would, I would go up every spring in the mountains of British Columbia and plant trees and the tree planting is perhaps the hardest work you can imagine. It's just hard work mm-hmm. and you would go and put your heart off for eight hours and you would plant, you know, a thousand trees and make $300. And then there was this other guy or girl that would have the same, same slope, same terrain, same tools, same conditions, work same amount of hours, but they would make twice, as much money,
2: hmm.
1: because they planted more trees, because they were just more efficient at it. Wow. And that, for me, has has really been the focus on what we've been doing on our farm. We've been trying to find ways to make things better with less effort, and we've been really pushing the envelope that way. And it, we came up with a you know a farm design and a systematic way of running the farm. And that's what I share in the book. And the reason why I tell you all of this is because, you know, you can expect to have a decent income and a right livelihood in farming if you know what you're doing.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And you can't just improvise it. You need to learn from either books, but even better, from working on a farm for a fully committed year, Mm -hmm. to see the hardship of how it is and, and what it involves you know, day-wise and energy-wise and season-wise.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and when you're ready for that, when you're ready to start your own project, then you need to kind of look at examples like ours and there's other out there of people that have really been successful at it and then trying to mimic what, what was good about their ways of doing. Because th- I've always thought that's the best way to succeed at something is just to mimic how successful people have been doing it. Absolutely. And, uh, that was, that was the reason for the title of the book, and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to get it out there because I felt, you know, if there's one veteran grower that is giving you good, good farming advice, and there's a lot of advice out there, and so it's, it's you know, you need to measure some of that. And uh, I think our farm is one, one positive example. There's others.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, um, yeah, it's, it's a trade, and it's like if you want to be a baker... You can't improvise, you need to learn the techniques, you need to learn how to You
0: gotta put in the time.
1: Up. Yeah, and uh, but it's it's valuable time because farming is satisfying work and we every week at market we have people thanking us for the work we do and we even have our some of our CSA members that are you know, they're telling us we're included in their daily prayers before mm-hmm. the meal.
0: And are you guys working based on, like, I'm assuming you're working based on weather patterns and stuff. Like, when it's raining, you guys probably work less. And then when it's sunny, you guys tend to work more.
1: Oh, it's, it's more that we change the work. We, we try to have an 8 to 5 kind of setup because we do have, you know, employed people. And, they you know, they need to get in and get out. But
2: mm-hmm.
1: when it's raining, we do stuff actually when it's raining we just wear a rain suit (laughs) you know weather for us it's just like man it's all it's it's about how you dress and there's nothing more to it and -hmm. uh uh, yeah we 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 have stuff to do on the farm we're outside and we also need to spend a little bit of time inside planning the day planning the week and so we do that at night
0: amazing so yeah it's fun In, in, um, when you, so like, okay, so it seems like your first piece of advice to somebody who's starting out is go and spend time at a farm. And oh, yeah. do not be tricked by the fact that permaculture and all these things, you know, they call it lazy farming, but the truth is it's not lazy at all. You have to work at it. Like if yeah. you want to keep those weeds down, if you want to keep your your plants healthy, if you want to fight the droughts that are going on or whatever it is that's happening, like yes, the, you know, there's techniques and things that you can do to retain as much water as possible. But every once in a while you're going to have to go out there with a hose or some water and help it out. You know what I mean? Like that's the reality yeah. of farming. That's the reality of what's going on. And and. You know, the only people, I mean, obviously monocultures have been incredibly efficient at producing food. Um, and, you know, there's many positives and negatives, I think, about it. Obviously, a lot of people like to focus on the negatives at this point. Um, but it is a miracle to see that, this, that there's 7 billion people on this planet and that we all have some amount of food. What I find a tragedy, though, is that not enough people are, are diving into your way of doing it and kind of what Val is striving to do. And what I wanted to know a little bit about what your, you know, volunteers are like, or, or do you guys ever get outside help that is not paid, that is also supporting this? Or do you guys do any workshops or those kind of things that people can go and learn about? Because here's what Valhalla is kind of doing right now. I, you know, I work more as a marketer than I ever do as a farmer for sure. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, we have other people on the team that know a lot more about permaculture and they're much more in, in kind of. Um, diving deep into that and edible landscaping and that kind of stuff, right? And, but what I can say is that I know I go out there every Saturday and every Saturday there's a group of volunteers that come and we work on something. And this year we built our first solar shed and now we finally have power on the land and we're being a little bit stubborn at, as to not just hook up to Hydro-Quebec or whatever. But we're trying to prove a point to some degree. And that's part of our story, I believe. Um, but the idea is that now we're slowly but surely kind of getting there. And we're getting to the point where next season, you know, I really want to take where we've done our gardening so far and bring it f- all the way to the next level. And, you know, if I showed you a picture of our land right now, to be honest, there's a part of me that's a little bit ashamed based on the amount of weeds that are just everywhere. And I think that's part of it. You know, we had a, we had a GMO soy kind of and corn rotation field was completely barren the soil was awful and we had to kind of take that and move it towards where we're going today you know what I mean it's not like we started with some rich plot of land here um, with garden beds already built like it was flat it has drainage problems it has all kinds of stuff and we've been working at it more and more um but what we do and what we enable people to do is we're actually providing a lot of hope and kind of ideas to people who come out every single week Right, Because we're so close to Montreal, we actually do attract a good number of volunteers that come and that are ready and willing to learn, and that's kind of, to me, also changing the landscape, which is, I find the the one thing that allowed permaculture to grow as a term is that they really focused on telling more people about it through education and stuff. You know, more so than your book, do you guys do any physical kind of um education at your site or do you guys have days that are open to volunteers and stuff where people can come and help out and learn or internships or whatever
1: Yeah, well that's a good question because you guys have shaped your your you know your venture to be to to be to be just that to be also showing and illustrating to people what what difference can be done and our farm has been different because we've been focusing on on making a living at this and We do have interns. We we try to have two at a time throughout the season. Mm -hmm. And but we're we're just we're getting so much demand and so many. You know, we we turned off, we turned down about fifty people per year that would like to come spend the whole season working for free on the farm. Wow. But we just this is not what, what our farm is about. We're not a learning center. We're we're a practical farm, and the people that come and learn from us that's what they need to learn they need to learn you know that you need to be busy that you need to be on it that you need to be really working hard
2: mm-hmm.
1: because that's the reality of what farming is about
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that was one of the reason why i wrote the book i thought you know i'm not going to be opening a center like that I'll, I'll let the guys at valhalla do it <laughs> but I, I i i you know i think that in the book there's a lot of good information that you can bring to your garden or to your market garden and then start your own thing cuz that's what really what I want. I want to have people like you said, empower people to think that they can do it and then having the right tools
2: to mm-hmm. do it, you know. Mm-hmm. So we we,
1: we have a, we've been we've been having interns here for 10 years. So we know about it and how it works and we like having the presence of these people around us. It's it, there's a, there's a lot of sharing going on. But you know, after after one point, we like to be our family. We like to be ourselves because it's such a tiny farm. And if I had sixty acres to manage, perhaps I'd be happy to have all that that extra hand. But uh, we have that same land constraint, so it's it's defining and shaping our project. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, I think I think you, you, as you said, I think that does make a lot of sense. As to why you wrote the book as well, I mean, that's kind of your contribution back towards others to empower others is that it, you know, uh, that's kind of the next point that I was going to bring up is that every time we do have volunteers, they are great. But at the same time, we always start at point one, right? We're not getting the person who knows exactly where and what needs to be done. And so having that and being able to pay that person's salary, or at least a couple of managers salaries has been a little bit of a challenge for us, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and we're, we're looking to kind of transcend that, and I believe, I think next year might be our first year that we can do this, but we need a team of dedicated people to be able to say, hey, look, we're going to take the risk, we're going to farm all season, and then we're going to make a market garden, and we're going to make our money through the gardening that we're going to do on this land, and that's kind of what, you know, and, and anybody listening out there, we're looking for you, you know, out of those 50 people, if you got if you have some people who are looking to be, you know, to do something like that, send them our way, because we would love to have them be a part of what we're doing, and we would love to to help them um, make a living doing this. You know, uh, there are people on our team, like I said, who are willing to do it, but I think we need a little bit more input from others, um, and we need to be a, a way to make it financially viable. And it seems like market gardening is that way. I. I, I have looked at all kinds of different models, have looked at the workshop side of things, have looked at permaculture and giving a PDC plus or whatever it is and all of those things. And they're all kind of cool and interesting. But to be honest, it, I don't think it's, it's none of it's going to work compared to really just gardening and providing the best quality food, fruits and vegetables to people and being able to sell it to them at local farmers markets and stuff or through some CSA or, or to drive buyers or whatever. That is going to be the answer.
1: Yeah, well, it's going to be one of them. <laughs> yeah. We, need, we know there's, there's a lot of people that are food activists, that are sustainable, you know, ag people, that mm-hmm. are people that are creating change like you guys are. And if we're talking about the food scene and the importance of having local sustainable, you know, food production hubs, I think that at one point, what, what this movement needs is to have more of its supporter put on their rubber boots,
2: Mm-hmm. take
1: up growing food. Mm-hmm. And because and that's, you know, our world needs more farmer. Yeah. And uh, that's, you know, but we're, we're getting there. Farming is, is is slowly becoming a popular trade. And, you know, I've been called the rock star farmer. And that is <laughs> that is a sign that, you know, there's more reconnaissance on on the trade. Yeah. Because, you know, there's the rock star chefs. Do you feel... They've been They've been popularized, and but you know all these guys, they're they're creating food from from growers that have made food for them, and, and the root is, is the grower.
0: And do you feel this is, is this is changing over the last little bit? Like I guess it seems oh, like yeah. in my life, in the last two years, it seems like everyone around me is now kind of becoming aware of this. Now,
2: part of oh, that oh, is yeah, also because
0: sure. you know Valhalla's picked up in my life, so obviously this is what people talk to me about. But, do you, but it, have, it, it, you've been in this for fourteen years now, or whatever. So is is this something that you've actually noticed a, a, a dramatic change over the last little? Oh bit?
1: yeah, the last five years, there's been such a great the, the enthusiasm and the awareness on the importance of of food and and and, uh, and there's a, there's a colleague, Will Allen. He farms in in Milwaukee, and he called his book "The Good Food Revolution," mm-hmm. and that's what it is. You know, people are worried about the, the, where their food comes from, how their food is made. And when they find, you know, farmers markets or, or, you know, family farmers through CSA, you know, this is food made with care by people who care and the energy is just very different and people connect to that and then there's no turning back. Mm-hmm. So our movement is always growing bigger and bigger and it's just, you know, the, the market gardener was, was written in French before. Mm-hmm. And it sold 10,000 copies in Quebec alone. Wow. And that's a technical book about how to, you know, make your farm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it just shows that there's interest for this kind of information if it's passed along as something as being part of the solution, as being positive, as being empowering. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I think is the wave of the future. And
0: uh, yeah. I I'm I'm glad to hear that it is growing and that you you are noticing that change and that and that probably more people are buying the book at this point and more people are asking to visit the farm or more people are applying to saying hey can I be an intern or can I work with you guys or have a job or whatever so I'm I'm glad to hear that because it does seem to be happening now I wonder I guess a little bit as to why it's happening like I, I guess sometimes I attribute it to like more awareness of the issues through the internet right. As the internet has gone more sophisticated, we kind of went through the phase of like, okay, when the internet first came out, there was like all this like illegal downloading and all these things. We started figuring it out. and there was a lot of like, and there still is a lot of uh, you know gag stuff or funny stuff that we did uh, you know, pictures of cats are still going to go more viral than anything else, let's say. But the truth is that there's also more exposure to the problems that are happening, right? And maybe that problem you know that's growing in our in our minds is is global warming. Or maybe it's the, the 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 water issue and shortage and how, you know, only 2% of the world's water is fresh water. Like, do you think that the internet is playing a bigger and bigger role in this? Do you think the internet is actually helping you or technology is actually beginning to help you in this? Because I know that you're a farmer who's doing this with very little input, right? Like you said, you don't have a tractor. You have only hand tools and this kind of stuff. And you guys are keeping it simple and easy. But it seems like the internet is playing more and more of a role in it. And I wonder... Um, how do you feel that affecting your, your practice?
1: Well, you know, on my end, you know, when we, when we started the farm, we didn't have electricity, (laughs) so we didn't have internet and we didn't have computers and we lived like that for a couple of years. And, um, yeah, I feel that uh, for me, it's been a real blessing because when you live in the countryside, you know, you talked about not knowing your neighbors. I don't have any neighbors, Mm -hmm. so you know, to go get the newspaper I need to drive ten minutes.
2: Amazing. So to
1: have the internet has allowed me to stay connected to to the world, to what's out there and what's happening. So I I have a I have a good feeling about internet and I think it's so great. Very empowering. All mm-hmm. that you can have and the information. The only flip side to this that I imagine sometimes is that you can have a lot of positive feedback from your networks or whatever. But at one point, you know, just clicking is not enough to really create change.
2: Yeah. You need
1: to do work physically, mm-hmm. do an interview like you're doing, build, build a house, you know, go out there, make a difference, grow stuff. And so so this is the other part that you can't really neglect
2: mm-hmm. because
1: it, it's not imaginable to think that you're, you're doing your job and then you go back home and then you connect in these networks and you're clicking, you're giving your advice, opinions, whatever, Mm -hmm. and then you're really creating something. Absolutely. You need to be physically doing something. um, But Internet is great for that because it it can show you how, it can tell you where, it can link you with other people that are doing it also. So it's it's a tool. It's, It's just like permaculture. It's a tool among other things, but it can't replace the sacred fire that you have inside of you. I it needs, it needs to burn, you know.
0: I yeah, I, I, I fully agree, and I, I I love that you said that because I you know more than anything, that's kind of what I've learned, and you know I always say, you know Val is great at marketing, but it's not enough for us to do the marketing. Like that's our talk. We could talk all day about what we're doing and how it's cool and how earthships are this and that, but unless we're doing it, then it it's, it means nothing. Unless we like we we wrote you know one of the most viral probably blogs about earthships ever. Okay. And it's literally gone around the world like 10 times, and it's called 10 Reasons Why Earthships Are Fucking Awesome, okay? Everyone who's probably listening to this podcast probably heard about it or seen it on, I don't know, Spirit Sign or whatever, any other place. There's all kinds of High Existence or or The Mind Unleashed. There's all kinds of different websites that shared it, okay? But it's only one thing to talk about Earthships. It's another to actually try and build one and do it and then learn from it, right? Learn like, you know, you spend a year building earthships, you probably learned a lot about it. And, and I wonder what your thoughts are on that and what your thoughts are also on um, on like the housing component of this. Because one of the major things that we're working with is we're working with a group of engineers and architects, mainly architects, um, at LEF, and they're an architectural firm um, that specializes in green buildings in Montreal. And they're now our partners on designing passive homes for the Quebec market and for what we're doing here at Valhalla. But really, we're actually designing an entire system of homes for the kind of um, for the world at large. Really, we're we're kind of reinventing earthships in a more conventional way. And I guess what I'm asking you is, how do we take what we're doing? How how do we take what you're doing, which is out in you know Saint Armand, which is a little bit more of a farmers kind of area? And how do we bring this into suburbia? How do we make this happen at home where people are and you know what role does like even their own home play within that? You know, do you do you advocate growing food indoors? Do you what I mean? What are your thoughts? Like what are, what are your thoughts about how we can shift suburbia into well, a more you know, kind if, of a more you know? That's a big question,
1: and I would answer it that way. If there's one thing I've learned through all these years is that if we're going to change agriculture, it's going to be one farm at a time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same if we're going to change housing. Mm-hmm. If it are going to change the housing, it's going to be one house at a time, creating these earthships, building these, you know, rightfully designed living homes mm-hmm. and showing them to people, and then that person is going to want to live in such an environment, it's going to create his own, and then, boom, we multiply, and these things take time. But, you know, when I, I was very influenced by earthships because... When I went to New Mexico, I had I had studied ecology, environment, but I had never seen a solar panel before. Yeah. And then I was there in this community, out there in the desert. They were self-sufficient in water, electricity, but most importantly, they were living in beautiful homes that mm-hmm. they had hand-carved themselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there was you know plants growing inside, and it was just so creative and so empowering. And that was what I got the most out of that is that you can build your own house and it can be very different from, you know, the houses that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, our home here is designed with a kind of principle, without the tires, because the building was already there, but the layout, the south-facing glazed window, you know, we have banana trees growing in the house.
0: Amazing.
1: And, yeah, and it's just, that's how it works. You get influenced by this positive thing that you visualize and see, and then you want to you want to go out and do it and that's what we did
0: Mm -hmm. and so what role do you think automation as well plays in in gardening you know there's there's a lot of like buzzwords like if you want to say hydroponics or aquaponics or whatever all these automated system drips and and you know growing towers indoors and all these things like what do you what are your thoughts on that do you think you think it's 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 complicating life a little bit
1: no you know i think there's room for that and uh it depends what we want to do, you know. If you if you know if you're in the city and you want to be providing for your family and neighbors, it's very different than if you're in the countryside and you want to be providing for 300 families. So mm-hmm. you know, different system for different scales and different scales for different objectives. But um, I think that all of this is the you know it's like if you ask me this question about urban farming, what I think about it. Well, I think it's great because more urban people. Are thinking about these things and they're playing with them, and you know, if we want to be self-sufficient with food production, and I think we should be, well, all of the there's probably a place for all of these innovations, and uh, yeah, that's
0: my take on that. Mm. interesting. I think I think that you, you're you're very wise in in um, in recognizing that what you're doing is different than what somebody in the city might need to do, and it makes a lot of sense that. You know, all of these things could work. They can all be part of the solution. But we, but more than anything, it seems like your message is, and, and I would agree with this, is that we have to get our hands dirty if we're going to change yeah. anything.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: You know, sometimes people ask me what my favorite quote is. Mm-hmm. And it's the most widely publicized quote in the world. <laughs> and it's I the know Nike, exactly. except for billions and billions served, which is another one. But, you know, the Nike yep. quote is, just just do, do it. it. Yeah. And it's so true, man. We need to have people that are just doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that makes change.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So everybody should go out there and just do it.
0: Yeah, and find the and the, find the smallest step. Don't think about, you know, how am I going to get to a 1.5 acre market garden and, and making, you know, whatever amount of money. Think about what am I going to do right now? What am I going to do today that is going to empower me to get one step closer to that goal? And knowing that goal, I think, is really important, right? Like, what is your goal? And clearly defining that, clearly kind of enumerating that in your mind and being able to say, okay, this is exactly what I'm looking to do. This is exactly where I'm looking to get it to to go. That is going to be as as important as the goal and the actual doing it itself as well. Because if you don't know what you're working towards, it's very hard to actually work on it, right? If, If Valhalla didn't have in its mind... Uh that we were gonna build a sustainability learning center eco barn, we wouldn't we wouldn't know what to do. When we showed up there on Saturdays, it's like, okay, what are we doing now? Oh, okay, we're gonna plant a tree, we're gonna do this. But no, we know we, we're able to plan ahead, we're able to see into the future and then make our way there slowly but surely. And and you know, as as JM said, one house at a time, one farm at a time, well, also one step at a time, right? Yeah, everything is going to unfold itself in your life one step at a time. And I think what you're doing over the last 14 years on this 1.5 acres is phenomenal. I think you guys deserve way more attention. I would love to have Valhalla come out there and film it and take some pictures and promote this more, promote your book more as well. So, guys, anybody who's listening to this, where's the best place that they can go and buy your book and learn about this? Well,
1: they can can read the first chapter and get more info about it just by visiting the site, themarketgardener.com. Okay. And they'll see all the tools that we use. And there's a lot of info there about our work and how it applies to different areas. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, if they want to buy the book, just buy it online directly from, from me. And just, great. Uh, you know, let's bypass Amazon.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and for the people who don't bypass Amazon because they have an account or maybe have some credit there or something, if you do buy it on Amazon, leave a good rating. You know, you'd be amazed yeah, how much right. ratings and comments and reviews actually go really 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 far for books and authors and I already see that you're a number one bestseller in agricultural textbooks so that's phenomenal I, I thought that was great <laughs> um you know there's paperback versions there seems to be like a hardcover version or something as well so look guys find the book and and buy it because and I know I'm gonna go like I'm gonna pick it up I'm gonna buy it I'm gonna I'm gonna get my dad to give me or whatever I'm gonna read it now because I am I'm am absolutely inspired uh, by what you guys are doing I think you guys are really smart at it and, and like I said, we did the route of just going out there and planting a tree and then asking ourselves now what and you know, guess what? We would have saved ourselves a little bit more time had we read something like this and moved in this direction in, in some way, shape or form and I think there's another thing to, uh, there's one last thing that I want to ask you which is you said you start a lot of your stuff from seed and I'm yeah. assuming that at this point you're getting the seeds from the, you know, the kind of the, the harvest that you had the year before but if somebody was looking to just you know, let's say go to the local garden center, pick up something, and and buy plants. Okay, is there is that okay? Like, does it make sense that somebody buys plants that are already started and growing for them? Do you think that that makes a little bit of sense for people that might not have as much time? Yeah,
1: it, it does make sense. And uh, but you should you should try and source from seeds that are not hybrids mm-hmm. and that are you know that are seeds that are from our areas.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: you should you know ideally buy from people that are producing plant with consciousness not just this big corp and so we have a plant sale every year here at the farm and uh, it's it's not the biggest plant sale but it just provides for you know 200 families they want to get their seedlings and and there's other farmers that are doing this so it's hook up with your local family farmer and see what's out there i think that's the best advice
0: that's great and now for for the last people for for the people listening so where can they get if they're in montreal right and now i you know i'm in, i'm near montreal i could potentially hook up and get your csa where where do they go and look for that they need to go online
1: and it's it's in saint-henry and yeah. it's pretty it's pretty it's booked pretty much every year but we're also doing uh farmers market in saint-lambert
0: oh wow so not
1: too far from where you are I every that's thursday true. now just finished but
0: Okay, but and next uh, season, with, next season, you're going to be at the farmers market in Saint Lambert as yeah. well. Yeah, amazing. Well, you know
1: what? Really, if they, you know, producing food from us is, you know, getting food, their food from us is great. But there's so many small farmers that are starting out now, and these guys, they need to be encouraged also. So yeah, the the, the great way to do it is to go online through Ikita and check out where the family farmers are, where CSA boxes are delivered. Try to start your own farmers market. You know, set it up so that local farmers can come and sell directly.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's
1: such a great way to empower uh, people in the community. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, I I appreciate your time. I appreciate your wisdom. I appreciate all the work uh, that you're doing, not only for you but and your family, but your plant for the planet and for even for Quebec. I think uh, your book. <laughs> Is going to inspire many. I think it's going to continue to float around the the, the online world as well as well as you know people's uh, bookshelves and stuff. And and I really 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 appreciate uh, all the work that you're doing.
1: Okay. Well, thanks
0: well, Hey, perhaps I'll write a post, a blog
1: post, t- 10, 10 reasons why market gardening is fucking awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, consider if you write it. Consider that we will put it on our blog and we will share it for you. No problem.
1: Great. I mean, thanks Any- for your time, and, and congratulations on all that you guys are doing. I'll, I'll come up and
0: check out the site pretty soon. And I'm and I'm going to come down You know, the next time maybe I'm on my way to, to Vermont or something, and I'm going to come and see what you guys are doing as well. So right. uh, we will stay in touch. We, we can talk a little bit more after, after we're off the air. But guys, anybody who's looking, again, all these links and all this stuff is going to be in the description below. Don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe on this podcast as well. If you want other people to hear about this, if you think this was valuable information for others, then do – um, actually share this, do actually like or comment or whatever, and go in, and like their Facebook pages, go and comment on their, on their stuff as well. Go visit their website, themarketgardener.com, buy the book, do all those things. Guys, you know, uh, your, your small amount of efforts, your small amount of support, even your clicks, okay, can help us go further, but you know, he, as, as Jam said, you got to get out there and do it. So thank you very much, everyone who's listening for your time. And uh, thank you very much. Again For
1: listening, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and don't forget to rate and leave a comment. Until next time,
2: be the hero you've always dreamed of being.